I've dealt with tumors for 20 years. I'm the best there is, top of the line. I have a million-dollar research facility and a couple of Cadillacs to prove it, and very honestly, Karen Tandy's got me stumped. Stumped? Yes. Without going into too much detail, uh... Her tumor doesn't have any of the usual characteristics of tumorous tissue. What Karen has is a... a fast-growing swelling made up of flesh and bone. You might almost describe it, uh... as a fetus. On her neck? We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul, and I'm Kevin. And uh, yeah, um, we're this going. We we normally get weird on this show, but it's about to get weird. I'll just say that. Yeah. Like this, this is might a- this might be the weirdest thing we've ever covered <laughs> on this show. I feel like uh, this is going back to my old podcasting show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm just trying to think. Like, I mean, we covered. I, I guess just in terms of odd, I mean, we covered the monster club and that wasn't, I mean, that was just weird in a different way, but this is more weird as an conceptually weird. So yeah, uh, you can thank me because I mentioned this at the end of the last week's show that this is what we're going to get into. Uh, it is a film from 1978 called the Manitou. Uh, and it's been something I've been circling for a while. It's something you've been talking to me about for a while. And, I sure I brought it up on the show before. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. you have. I just uh it is a uh, um well, I guess I should maybe get into this a little bit f- further before we get into like the whole the whole cast and crew and all this. So, what was it uh last year on the other show that I do Invasion of the Podcast? Um we were doing the year of the knockoff and I asked Kevin to come up with a bunch of these films that were like chasing the success of other films and you gave me a great list. And one of the films that you gave me to watch was uh, Abby uh, which uh, was a black exploitation riff on The Exorcist, uh, directed by William Girdler, who has directed The Manitou, and we'll talk more about him in a second. And mm-hmm. that's a film that everything like going into, you're like, this can't be that good. And I ended up liking the film a great deal. And I feel like you know it loses a little steam in like the last 20 minutes, but everything else is great in that movie. So I started like searching out other Girdler stuff, and then I ended up uh, watching Grizzly for the blog because it's basically Jaws, but with a bear. And that movie's fun. It's a lot of fun. And you can tell that he's actually getting better as a filmmaker. And then, so this has been like the one that I've been circling a little bit because it was his last film. And I wondered like, would we see more steps of him as a filmmaker in this? And I'd say we do, but it's been like this journey of finding this guy who, you know, made his money by chasing success, but also kind of leaving his own like stamp on things. And I, and I've enjoyed everything I've seen of his so far. Yeah, out of out of a lot of those exploitation directors and just uh you know, uh, 
pretty much making garbage. Um, he was somebody that really took pride in actually creating coherent films and it had some sort of craft put behind them. So when you do discover Girdler, it's just like floating in a sea of garbage. All of a sudden there's this like <laughs> diamond in the rough. <laughs> you find him and you're like, these are really well made pieces of garbage. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like this is something I'm going to dig out and put in my house. Um, but yeah, he's just, I've, I've always loved his stuff and he's, he's done some other, uh, black exploitation, like Sheba baby, the get man kind of falls into that. Um, and that you still have to check out Day of the Animals, I do, which kind of yeah. falls in line with Grizzly, oh, it's and it's got cool. uh, Leslie Nielsen in it, fighting a bear, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, and Christopher George makes his return. Oh, nice! Uh, Does he have a, Grizzly. a grenade launcher? <laughs> Not that I remember. Or is he yelling for a ninja? Is that what he's doing in that film? Uh, no. Uh, so, yeah, I need to see this film because it's a spiritual sequel to Grizzly, which I like. Yeah, every, like I said, everything so far I've seen his I've liked, and I was hoping yeah. that you would take a little bit of the lead of like his earlier stuff because it seems like you've seen the bulk of his things. Yeah. Well, it, he also did. Uh, there's a movie called Three on a Meat Hook that's a very sought after VHS uh, film. I have. I have it on this like double feature DVD. It looks terrible. <laughs> and I just, I have not brought myself to watch it yet, but um, yeah, Shiva baby is awesome. I really, I really enjoyed that one. And obviously Abby, he made that the year before Shiva baby. Um, as you know, that one is uh, quite entertaining as well. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately he died shortly after uh, the Manitou uh, in a helicopter crash, which I think we discussed on the Abby episode on invasion of the podcast, but I was uh, just watching the interview since I picked up the Blu-ray of the Manitou for this with the author of the novel that this is based off of Graham Masterson. And uh, he was talking about his relationship with Girdler and how they really got along. And they were actually planning on making a bunch of sequels to the Manitou because he had written six books in the series. Yes, he has. Yeah. With like uh, reoccurring the reoccurring character. Um, uh Harry Ur- uh, Harry Erskine. I Erskine. Oh, I can never say Erskine, the last name yeah. right. Tony Curtis's character in this um, comes back in all of the novels. So, yeah, they they had a bunch of ideas for some really fun sounding movies. There's one just called it was called The Jin, and uh, it was like a it was like a Middle Eastern genie that comes over into the New England area hmm. is terrorizing people. So it, it I, I don't know if they all follow this kind of template or if he picks things from different parts of the world and different uh, locations and kind of pulls from their mythology. But I'd, I'd be curious to read the the novels in the series. Well, I, do have, I guess I have this them. one's pretty close. <laughs> Let's see. I have those listed. We'll get that in a second. But yeah, with Girdler. So yeah, he did die in a helicopter crash while scouting locations for his next project. So he actually uh, didn't get the the chance to see this film actually released. So it was actually about to be put out is when he died. Not that I'm saying that this thing set the world on fire because it didn't. I went back and read uh, Roger Ebert's review of it at the time it came out. God bless Robert, Roger Ebert. I miss him. But it's like his his review, like he, he gave the, like the movie like one star and was like, uh, yeah, he, he references the end of the film, which we'll get there, saying, does anybody remember this happening? I don't think that actually happened. Like, <laughs> And it was just 
just a fun like he was saying this thing about like you see films like this show up in August because like like they don't know what else to do with them and he could tell like it's just a way to kind of kill time or whatever like he was very detrimental to this film and when it was released but so this didn't exactly set the world on fire but still it's a shame that like I, I would have been really cool to see what this guy would have done like you know maybe like because i feel like in the 70s and again you can correct me if i'm wrong because i probably am there was a lot of younger filmmakers that are taking chances and then eventually some of the stu- bigger studios finally would notice them and then would get their, their opportunity to kind of you know stick their claim and kind of you know do bigger things i'm not yeah, saying well, that, it know. was the beginning of like independent film and the smaller budget thing yeah. outside of the studio system so people were branching out doing other stuff and it's very similar to what's going on now i mean you see these people like uh that most recent Godzilla movie, um, uh, Michael Doherty, who did Trick or Treat, which is really cool little horror film that came out a few years ago, and then ended up doing Krampus, which was pretty crazy. And uh, he got noticed by the studio system, and now he's making a huge blockbuster Godzilla movie. So it's still it's still something that happens to this day. But yeah, I, I think he showed so much promise in making competent films and entertaining films that I could totally see him get dragged onto like a bigger project mm-hmm. that maybe he didn't write. Cause most of the movies he worked on, he was producer and writer on <laughs> at <laughs> least for the screenplay. Um, but yeah, it, it's a shame. He's, he's one of those talents that we'll just never know what his full potential could have been. Yeah. So, but yeah, this is his, uh, his his last film. Uh, so then this is uh, again. I haven't seen the rest of this, all all of these things, but I would imagine that if this is going to be your last film, this is an interesting one to go out on. Like <laughs> let's say that. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. So we just talked about Girdler, um, and uh, so the screenplay was co-written by him uh, and John Cedar, who was actually one of the actors in the film. I think he's the doctor that you heard at the beginning here. Yes. Uh, and yeah. then. Um, so I'll I have I have some information about him when we get to the actual where, where I haven't met here. Um, where where his information go? He was actually in Foxy Brown, uh, and then he was in 17 episodes of Hogan's Heroes, and in Day of the Animals. So you can see that there's the Girdler connection there. This is his only like writing credit that he had. Um, and then also another person that was uh, given writing credit for the screenplay is a guy named uh, Thomas Pope, which um, I don't know if you found a lot of information about him. There's not much writing credits for him either. Um, there's, yeah, the only, the only thing I was really familiar with Thomas Pope, he did a pretty terrible movie. He was an uncredited writer for, uh, don't look in the basement, which is one of those movies that gets included on those like hundred pack horror films that you find at like Walmart or target or wherever. Um, yeah, not not the best film, but that was really the only thing I was familiar with from so him. He wrote a screenplay for a film uh, called this. The name is disgusting. It's called Cold Dog Soup. And I'm like, why is this called this? <laughs> you can name your film anything other than that. Uh, but it's from 1990. I'm gonna read the synopsis real quick, and you not tell me that this is the like the most like like alternative FM 1990s like quirky story you've ever heard. Randy Quaid is a taxi driver that, uh, uh, that as he drives, he delivers Zen parables like, is time money? Is time the root of all evil? Uh, Into his passenger slash protege in a high-speed idiosyncratic tour of their city's ethnic coteries. 
All the boy <laughs> wants is to dispose of his date's dead dog Jasper and get back to the babe who's so hot she mutters darkly about being a pressure cooker. I think this is written on IMDb, so someone really likes this movie. His conventional efforts are continually thwarted. Quaid is respected by the peculiar groups he, uh, he um, and his interests in the, what was it, um, and he interests in the dog's corpse and its effects, and our one-gloved heroine is much keener on him than on her rather lackluster date. And I wrote dot, 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 What? Like this, this just seems like one of those films where it's like, you know, it'd be cool if everything was just weird. Like in terms of like, we got to have a cab driver that speaks in riddles and we got to have a guy trying to get to a hot date, but he has to put, take care of a dead dog. This seems like, like, um, this seems like go before go. And if, if, if go was a terribly shitty movie before go, I was going to say if like go was directed by David Lynch. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah. That's. That's weird. Yeah, yeah I've, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, so. we're, we're not going to watch that for the show. I can tell you that. Um, no, in, unless you uh, head over to our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yes, I want you guys to watch Cold Dog Soup. And I'll be like, all right, I, guess, I mean, if you're going to pay for it, I guess we'll watch it. Um, but I like, it's Randy Quaid. Like, you know, I think that would be, uh, you know, th- I, I, I like Randy Quaid. And I think this is before he went completely crazy, but I don't think this movie helps him. No. So seems you, like something he'd make now. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, like not even a movie. He'd just be a taxi driver spouting stuff. You know, like there's a chip <laughs> in my brain. The government's coming for me. You know, whatever. Um, so you mentioned Graham, Graham Masterson. Uh, I just want to also mention here real quick that so this book was you know the movie's based upon his book. Masterson's novels, which he's written like a hundred something novels. It's like he's written all this stuff. Yeah, um, he's he's got kind of an interesting career. Yeah. Um, he he started out as just like a journalist as a teenager, ended up finding his way to like the uh, uh, adult magazine Mayfair as the editor, and then eventually moved over to Penthouse, uh, the original Penthouse in uh, in England, and then um, started writing like uh, I, I guess you would call him like uh, just like sex, sex instruct instructional yeah. sex books, yeah. So it's really funny. Again, I'll mention the uh, uh, the Manitou Blu-ray interview. He talks about how he wrote a whole series of books from a woman's perspective on how women want to be loved uh, under a pseudonym Angel Smith. Ugh. And you would get like a ton of fan mail because they they put like a picture of a girl on the front that was supposed to be Angel Smith, you know, like a wet T-shirt or something. <laughs> and um he would get so much fan mail to the publisher. Um, and he told a story You get a little crude here. Um, he opened one. It was like this padded envelope and it was this guy who sent him a letter that was basically like angel Smith. I love you. I want to marry you. I've sent this condom to you as a sign of my love. Um, it's been rolled on and off me. (laughs) He he says, if there's a record for flinging a condom across the room, the fastest and furthest he would have won it that day. So he goes back to his, uh, (laughs) his publisher and he's like, I'm not writing any more books under the name angels. (laughs) 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 Oh man. The Uh, guy's a trip. Um, Yeah. Cause he speaks about everything. So matter of factly, um, he's just got these, crazy these crazy stories of working in penthouse and stuff and interviewing the uh girls that would come in and uh just uh, taking like their life experiences and using it for his stories and everything 
And uh, the guy's a trip. I highly recommend the interview on the Blu-ray. He just seems like um, like a kinkier Clive Barker, like in the sense not kink, I mean not not kinkier, but like I don't know. Because um, uh, Clive Barker's pretty kinky, but he's also a better writer. Uh, but so he would uh, Masterson would actually his horror novels would cons- uh, contain visceral sex and horror. So maybe he was like the proto Barker, like maybe in the sense of like he was always kind of walking the line between the two when Barker would also like shade that differently. But again, Barker's a much better writer. Um, so yeah. you're right. So he wrote a number of different Manitou books. Um, so you have the Manitou in 76, Revenge of the Manitou in 79, uh, Burial in 91, Spirit Jump, which is a short story in an anthology called Faces of Fear in 96, Manitou Blood, 2005, Blind Panic, uh, 2009, then Plague of the Manitou in, I think, 2010. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot out there. If you guys want the extended universe of the Manitou, there's there's a lot out there for you. And I wrote my notes here. He probably has the most output of anyone associated with this film. Like so, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, there's also that uh, the Jin book from 1977 that features Harry Erskine from the Manitou series as well. So that's kind of like a extended universe outside of Manitou series. So I just want, I guess I want to, I guess there are more than seven. Of them. Oh, I want a Harry Erskine series where, and you know, by day he wears a mustache and does fake terror readings. And by night he goes and fights real evil. So like, I want that so bad, but he, yeah, he, yeah. Well, here's my issue with going back and reading the books now, because I've, I've watched this movie three times now throughout my life. And, uh, I, I don't think I could read the books without picturing Tony Curtis. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know how far I would be able to make it in the series, taking it seriously. <laughs> That's fair. I, I, so I, I ended up watching this movie twice in 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you had to go to work, right? Yeah, that's what that's happened. That's the best part. Yeah. Is you go to work, and they're like, "Oh, how's your night?" I'm like, "Oh, um, you know, I, I've learned, yeah. I've learned to kind of just not get into stuff like that because they're like, "Oh, what'd you do?" I'm like, "Oh, you know, just you know, just uh, whittling, you know, like or whatever." Went to you the know. gym, ate yeah. dinner, yeah. watched some, watched some TV. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, I was watching the Real Housewives of uh, you know, whatever, you know, like, oh, okay. Because if I, if I start getting into this, I'm like, I watched the Manitou. I'm like, well, what's that movie about? I'm like, well, I think we're never going to talk again. So let me just be quick here and explain to you. <laughs> it's funny because when when you watch the Manitou, and we'll get into it, like it's it's played pretty straightforward. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of comedy, and there are really horrific scenes. Um, but for the most part, it's it's played straightforward. So when you describe the plot of this, it sounds like the most insane thing that's ever been put to film, mm-hmm. which it's, it's, it's up there, but it doesn't feel like something like dead alive, like by Peter Jackson or some of the more extreme oh, yeah. gore films are just like that, that goofier slapstick stuff. When you show people, it just shocks them. And it's, it's like a revelation. This is just, it doesn't come off as crazy as it probably should be when you take a step back and look at it as a whole, or when you describe it to someone. Well, and that's and now saving this for like like a little later in the discussion. However, like you were telling me, this movie gets weird, and then uh, uh, El Goro mentioned he was like, "Yeah, you, this movie." He's like, "You just get to the point where you feel like they start taking acid," and I'm like, "Okay, that's a way. That's a fair way to say it." But I get like you know, 50 minutes in, and I'm like this is all playing pretty straight faced. I'm like, what are they talking about? Oh, like 
it just like there was yeah. that moment where it just like it just turns you're like but even then it's still earnest and like i think this is what wins the whole film for me is that it is played so earnestly that if it, if it leaned into being just ridiculous then i think i would have lost interest but like tony curse never stops like it, like showing that he cares about stuff, you know, and like, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. we're getting way yeah. ahead of Sorry. ourselves here, yeah, though. No, we should Sorry. probably jump into cast, though. We can, I, I think we're both itching to talk about the movie here, yeah. Um, so we'll we'll go through cast really quick here. We got Tony Curtis, who plays Harry, Harry Erskine. I don't know why I'm having so much uh issues with that <laughs> last name. Uh, I think, uh, I, I know him a lot from. Some of his older comedies, like Sweet Smell of Success, and uh, especially some like It Hot with mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe, um, Spartacus, he was in that uh, Rat Race. He was in this ridiculous mummy movie from the '80s called The Mummy Lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked it up for like a dollar fifty the one day, and uh, it's, it's not terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, the Defiant ones with Sidney Poitier, yeah, um, which was actually kind of a interesting story with that one because the studio didn't want to put Sidney Poitier like second on billing or on the posters or anything um, just because of racial issues and everything. And Tony Curtis actually fought with the studio to get him second build and put his name right up next to his on all the posters. Good. So, I mean, kind of cool. Yeah. Um, he, so Tony Curtis, everything I read about him, he just felt like he was kind of, kind of like the last of old Hollywood, not the last, but there was that kind of, you know, he just felt like one of those actors that had like that look and he was on some prestige projects there. Just, he felt like there was like, there's a changing of the guard and he was kind of one of the last going into, like we talked about like how the seventies is more independent stuff. He felt like he was from an older system, not in a bad way. Cause he has a certain amount of class. Like I really liked him in this movie, but you can yeah, tell he I, existed. I well. to, yeah. He, he existed in a different orbit. So I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, he he's he's in the part of his career where he just kind of needs money in this. Yeah, and there was a great thing that Graham Masterson said about this movie. Um, <laughs> he was asking William Girdler how they got such a amazing cast for this cheap little film, uh, cheap little crazy film, and um, he found out that every male in one of like the like top ten um, roles in this movie was paying some sort of alimony to an ex-wife oh, wow. and needed money. So pretty much everybody on this just needed a paycheck. So they were able to get like some some way bigger names than they had any right to get for this. I mean, yeah, it works, right? Like uh we're we're seeing not maybe not alimony related, but we're seeing a lot of the 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 Blumhouse productions that are coming in like a micro budget and you're getting some bigger names attached. So yeah. you know well also I think that has to do with a lot of the um those mid-budget movies being pushed out of theaters just because of like movies like the Avengers taking up like 10 screens in a theater. So I think you're getting actors that wouldn't, wouldn't normally be on uh, VOD uh, movies that would maybe like 15 years ago have had a bigger theatrical release or getting pushed out of the theaters. So I I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. Yeah. So, but yeah, Tony Curtis, I, I like, I know of him and I've seen him, but I just, I was not that, uh, uh, that I wasn't that aware of him, like, uh, and but I, I liked him a lot in this, and he's he, oh he's the dad of Jamie Lee Curtis too, which everyone probably knows that, but I was like oh okay, uh, yeah, yeah Jamie Lee Curtis and Janet Lee, oh yeah that's right yeah, yeah. so all right uh, yeah so I don't know if you have anything else for Mr. Curtis, 
No. Right. Um, we have Michael and Sarah, who plays John Singing Rock, who is actually a Syrian-born actor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I guess throughout his career, he was cast as a Native American quite a bit. Um, and he <laughs> he was in Day of the Animals, so I, I think that was the Girdler connection in this one. Um, which I'm assuming he probably played a Native American in that as well. Um, he was also in It's Alive, the Larry Cohen uh, killer baby movie, yes. which is fantastic. Uh, one episode of The Outer Limits, and one that kind of caught me off guard, but it made total sense with his voice, was Mr. Freeze on the Batman animated series. Yeah, that's you You, you hit everything that I was going to mention here. Because so, we just talked about The Outer Limits, so he was uh, in that. Um, what was it? Um it was the the first episode of the second season, so I'm sure it's probably a little better than the one we just uh, talked about. Um, but yeah, him being Mr. Freeze, perfect. And he was actually, he was in um, three different series of Star Trek playing the same character, which he's only, this is one of nine actors to play the same character in three separate series. So he was in the original series, D Space Nine and Voyager. So that's cool. Um, and uh, he was married to Barbara Eden. So I take that. That's cool too. And he played a, he played a, a, a genie in I dream of genie as well. So you talk about a degen. He was one, um, and 63 episodes of Rambo, the animated series. Oh, look at that. I didn't know yeah. there was 63 episodes of the Rambo animated series. Yeah. That seems way longer than what I thought that was. I thought there were like nine. I thought it was <laughs> kind of like the, uh, the Karate Commandos Chuck Norris cartoon where it was just like one half season. I'm like, yeah, that's good enough. I think that's what we need to do next after the Twilight Zone wraps up. We're going to watch all 60, like 63. I'm assuming it's 63 episodes of Rambo the Animated Series and talk about them. <laughs> I don't know if I'd make it. I no. love Rambo, but I, I mean, I guess that'd be a good build up to Rambo Last Blood. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to watch the cartoon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Susan Strasberg, who plays Karen Tandy, who uh, I was really excited. She was in Delta Force with Chuck Norris. Mm-hmm. Um, so second Chuck Norris reference here. Uh, one of my favorite disaster movies, Roller Coaster from 1977. Um, the Trip, which is the Roger Corman, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson wrote it. Uh, the drug movie they did. Mm. Um and then her first role was in a movie called Picnic from 1956, which uh, she also co-starred with Cliff Robertson. Oh, so she is actually nominated for a Tony at age 18 for uh, The Diary of Anne Frank. So that's cool. Like she actually had like a big stage background. Um, she was in um, 1961's Hammer film uh, Scream of Fear and uh, 1981's Bloody Birthday. So got to mention that as well. Um, an episode Tales from the Dark Side. And also the Orson Welles, The Other Side of the Wind. So she actually got a credit last year for that film finally being released. Oh, cool. I don't know how I missed that. Um, and we'll blow through the last couple here. We have Stella Stevens, who plays Amelia, who was in one episode of Hawaiian Eye. Mm-hmm. Had the Poseidon Adventure, the original Nutty Professor. I don't know if you have anything else for her. I actually forgot to, I, I saw her cause so the cast, I didn't catch all the names the first time I watched it and I meant to go back and write about her and I forgot. So I'm glad that you caught that. so, yeah. <laughs> um, then we have John Cedar who you previously talked about. Uh, he plays Dr. Jack Hughes also was one of the, uh, co-screenwriters for this film, but yeah, he was in Foxy Brown, but he was also in death hunt with Charles Bronson. Well, there, man, all sorts of wonderful connections here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we have Anne Southern, who plays Mrs. Carmen, 
who uh, I wasn't really familiar with, but uh, she was pretty big in the 50s. She was in this TV show from 1953 to 1957 called Private Secretary. Uh, after it was her role was so popular, she actually ended up getting her own show called The Ann Southern Show oh, wow. in 1958 that ran for like a good 90 some episodes. I just is private secretary meaning that she's a secretary for like in secret or is she actually like in the army as private secretary? You know, honestly, I didn't even read the the synopsis of the show. It looked it looked pretty terrible. <laughs> There were like nine photos for it, and it was all the same set with basically the same picture with different people. <laughs> it's like, man, that looks that looks great. But I guess her role was uh, so popular that she got her own show out. That's of it. cool. So, all right. Yeah. Um, and we uh, next up, most importantly to this show, our connection. We have Burgess Meredith, who plays Doctor Snow. Yeah. Which we first talked about all the way back in season one, Twilight Zone. Time enough at last. And uh, he was also a Mr. Dingle is Strong, Obsolete Man, and the Printer's Devil, which I think will be in this season. Season four, season four yeah. And yep. I also feel like it's a service that we do not have El Goro on because I feel like that this is the. I, I feel like we're naked without it, like without his uh, commentary on Burgess Meredith here uh, being like, you know, a, a, a kind of like um, hipster uh, Colonel Sanders being upset at yeah. everything being dirty. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I feel like this is kind of a conglomeration of like all of his roles that we've seen in the twilight zone so far <laughs> yeah and, and not the only this. time we'll mention burgess meredith this evening while recording because there's a burgess meredith thing that will happen that we'll get to in the the season 10 of the jordan peele twilight zone yes. uh, episode blurry yeah. man uh which will if you guys are part of the patreon you'll hear our thoughts on that so i didn't realize that we we're going to be very burgess meredith heavy this evening talking it's it's, it's good um and yeah uh, I didn't put me notes for him because we've talked about him so much. I love Burgess Meredith and you could tell that he was kind of improving or he was just really disgusted with the set in the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so apologies to El Goro. We uh, probably should have thought to have you on here because I feel like we're, you're, you're going to feel incomplete now that you weren't right. on every Burgess Meredith, Meredith episode. Um, then last I had, Oh man, cannot read my handwriting. <laughs> Uh, Lorene Tuttle, who plays Mrs. Hertz, who has a uh, probably one of my favorite moments in this episode, so I want to bring her up. She was in one episode of The Twilight Zone, and uh, one episode we haven't covered, and then uh, she was also in Psycho. Oh, so I have one other person, actually two, one and a half. Uh, that's uh, so uh, Paul Manti is Doctor uh, McAvoy, or um, he's the other doctor that you see in the film. He was in Day of the Animals. Uh, one episode of Ahara U.S. Treasury, which we talked about previously. Like, why is that a show? And you're gonna, it's gonna blow your mind. Three episodes of Hawaiian Eye. Like, so, oh my yeah. god. Um, so that's that's amazing. And then uh, I wanted to mention that the score was done by uh, Lalo Schifrin, which we talked about previously, uh, who um, created the Mission Impossible theme and uh, actually did the scoring for Telephone. So, um, yeah. yeah, I love Lalo Schifrin. So. Yeah. I was excited to see him pop up again. And there are some fantastic music cues in this film. Yeah. So I'm definitely glad you brought that up. But I'm just excited because it's like there's a telephone connection as well. So can't get away from all of it here. So, all right. Um, we have we have no Sterling. We have no Peel. Um, I guess I could play the dialogue over and over again of finding out that um, that our one of our main characters has a problem because that gets revisited over and over again. But all I had was... Uh, <laughs> 
the one conversation we played at the beginning. So, um, yeah. Uh, so I will say that this film reminded me very much of the 86 fly in the sense that it just get like, and this is going to sound like an obvious statement. It gets started from the very beginning, like from the jump, there is no, there's no, uh, fat on the beginning of this movie. Cause it starts off with like these x-rays with this really loud noise that uh, it's almost reminiscent of the flash bob going off in uh, Texas chainsaw massacre, uh, with that kind of awkward, horrible sound that you hear as they're looking at these x-rays of our, uh, of our, one of our main characters of, uh, what's her name here? I'm sorry. Karen, Karen Tandy, where the mm-hmm. doctors are kind of like looking at like these x-rays. So I was surprised that the movie just dove right in with the problem of her already having something growing on her neck. I respect that kind of like, here we go. Like we don't need 20 minutes of someone in their regular day going out and getting coffee. And then someone be like, Oh, is that a mole? It should be fine. Then later that day, Hey, that's not a mole anymore. That is a softball. Like, you know, I didn't need that. Like it just, it just started. And I really liked how this film was so earnest, but it didn't give you any time to breathe. It's like, we're in. And I really liked that beginning. And I, I like, uh, uh, Susan Strasberg, Strasberg's performance as Karen, because she's not playing it as being like necessarily terrified or anything. She's she just wants to take care of the problem. Mm-hmm. Like she's is very strong from the get go in this episode, and um, you know obviously she has her concerns later on as things progress. But uh, from the beginning, you know she's she's taking everything in stride. It's kind of refreshing. Um, but yeah, the doctors are trying to figure it out, and it's they brought in the specialist who uh, is Doctor Jack Hughes, and he's dealt with tumors all over the world. He knows everything there is to know about it. Can't figure it out. You heard the dialogue in the beginning. Um, that's him explaining what he thinks this is. I like that, and I love. Yeah. There's that pregnancy chart in the yes. room when they're going over it. And that one fetus on the pregnancy chart looks so angry. It's so terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and I like that it's in the background, but then they draw attention to it. And then there's a nice, you know, fade away to that's when we end up meeting uh, Harry and his his life that he's having. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah. Tony Curtis, the introduction to him in this is fantastic. Yes. And I love I love all the comedy aspects of this film. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. think they're perfectly placed in it. I, I don't think it overwhelms the terror that happens later or some of the gross out stuff or some of the weird stuff. Um, I, I think the comedy just adds to this film, which it, it could have gone bad really quickly. But I think Tony Curtis knows how to kind of balance the comedic with the dramatic pretty well. Just with the way he would be able to kind of like his eyes would sell things like it was great. Like. Uh, just with him doing like the seance with his, with, with the shortcut hair and that mustache, he looked very much like, like an older Freddie Mercury. I don't know why I was yeah. getting like that vibe. looks like yeah. Freddie Mercury meets Oliver Reed or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> I kept, I kept wondering what would happen if Oliver Reed was in this film. Honestly, I feel like that would have been, that's a missed opportunity. Like, but Tony Curtis was great in this, like being like this, this tarot reader with this wonderful, like garb on and the, you know, the mustache. And he's like, like talking to the older woman and like talking you know, giving her her reading. And then at first, like you get the idea is kind of like this regal kind of guy. And like, there's this nice tracking shot in his apartment where it goes over all his, like his, you know, goods. And then like his reel to reel playing this like nice, you know, fancy music. And he's like having this, like, like playing the, this, like mystical music. Yeah. He's got candles lit, you know, everything's yeah. set in the mood for this tarot reading. 
And then uh, when he finishes the reading, uh, he goes and she, he, he's like, okay, now we'll finish. And he, and he's like, he gives this whole big speech he talks about. And the most important thing is charity. And he holds his hands out. That's <laughs> a great <laughs> moment. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And she goes to put money in his hands, but then she clasps his hands and holds them like longer than, that he wants. He's trying to pull them out. And then he's, and he says something about like, let's close our eyes and like, like, not pray, but he says something. And when she closes her eyes, he pulls his, his, his fingers from her hands, like almost like a mousetrap. And like, it's great. It's a great little moment. But yeah. So you get the idea that he's, he's kind of a con man, you know, he's, he's preying on, uh, some weaker individuals and, uh, telling them what they want to hear. I, I don't know if I would call it necessarily preying on them because he is helping them to, an, to, a, to a certain point. But, um, well, he he never once like there. There's a bit later where he ends up talking to the other couple that he believes are the real deal. Like he, you get the idea. Like there's one point where he says, "I'm a seller, not a buyer." Like it, it, it there's you. He knows what the game is, and it's basically he's putting on a show. And if they want to feel better about themselves, he'll be more than happy to provide it. Like I don't yeah. think I don't think he in his mind he feels like he's taking advantage of. He's providing a service, but he does not actually believe in like his actual attunement to spirituality. Like, so yeah. it's a little different take on it, you know, like I, and, but then like she goes to leave, the older lady leaves and there's another <laughs> nice moment too, where she's like, but I need like the daily affirmation. And he gives her something, <laughs> but then I, yeah, go ahead. I love that. Cause he, he, he says some, some bullshit line and he's trying to like shoo her away and she keeps coming back like one more time, one more time. And every time he repeats it, it's different. Different. <laughs> But then there's the uh, the girl who lives across the hallway from him in the apartment, and she's like, "Oh, that stuff again," and uh, he kind of calls her out on some stuff she was doing the night before. Yeah, he's like, "I hear what your business model is." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also got to point out, he told the old lady that Thursday is a really gassy day for her. And I was like, what is going on? Where he's like, that's going to be a really challenging day for you gas wise. I'm like, ugh. I thought that was funny that the cards would like let you know about your digestion and what may or may not work. But yeah, yeah so he goes yeah. back in and you get that transition into his normal life where <laughs> he rips the mustache, mustache off. off. Yeah, and he slaps it against the door frame and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he changes the music, changes it to like the, some funk. Um, takes the robe off. He's just wearing like a white undershirt <laughs> under cracks of beer, but I like that he pours the beer into a wine glass. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's fancy. It, so yeah, he's there and then he gets a phone call and it's like, uh, it's Karen saying, you know, they, she wants to talk to him and he, he's actually immediately like taken aback. And so that's whenever like she ends up meeting him in the park. Um, and there's a nice shot of the camera going underneath a bridge as they're passing and talking, it's like, it's not, maybe not the, the most pretty shot, but it's an interesting technical shot that they got while they're having. Yeah. This it's dialogue. better than just like a static camera yeah. sitting next to them on the bridge. Like I'll, I'll give them that. Um, but yeah, we get, we got a little bit here. This is my least favorite part. Um, uh, there's this rekindling of their love where it starts in this park, this like Japanese rock garden park. Um, and then they end up on the trolley car they end up on the boardwalk eating like seafood. Um, and she's telling him that she's going in for surgery the next day and explaining this whole situation. Um, and it's, it's like a good 10, 15 minutes yeah. of just the same conversation over and over again. But it gets the point across that like they used to be together. She used to be part of his 
part of his his show that he would put on for these old ladies. I think at one point he says, like, you were there pulling the switches, flipping the switches and pulling the strings. Yeah, and she uh, said I did it for fun. I didn't do it for real and then whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, so you find out, like, they were romantically entangled earlier. And uh, there are still feelings there. And things are kind of coming back. So eventually they end up back at uh, Harry's house. And... Are, are you allowed to drink wine? That was in uh, my notes. I was like, you're about to the have night before a like, surgery, invasive surgery on this baseball size thing on your neck, uh, which we didn't even get into. Like when she actually does her, like her neckerchief in like the doctor's office, like that's again, when I was talking about this movie starts from the jump, like this thing is, it's almost like a lemon sized on her, on her neck. So it's like, that's pretty significant already. And she said it, it started three days ago. Like and she's, yeah, and it's been growing just like, exponentially. Fair enough that she's doing the right thing by going to the doctor. I think that's whenever I just be I'd be constantly pissing myself with fear. Like this is only three days. Like what's going to happen in three more days? You know, um, and that that's how I'd say it. Like almost like Shaggy. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So she's like, no, no, we're, we're just going to drink wine because they're about to you know pump me full of drugs and uh, and cut this like this lemon out of my neck. Yeah, let's just get drunk. Like I just feel like that's not the right call. I mean, I, the maybe medicine of the 70s is like, you got to get good liquored up and smoke a, like, you know, entire pack of cigarettes before we do surgery. Or we're not doing it. I don't know. I mean, you see later in the movie that uh, uh, Dr. Hughes pours a drink in his office for him <laughs> and Tony Curtis. So, yeah, I mean, the, the things just operated different. Um, but what about Tony Curtis's gross robe that he comes out in in the scene? <laughs> it's like a faded blue Looks like it's been worn for 20 years. I was like, put, put your fortune teller robe back on. Come on. Like, this is disgusting. Look. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was weird. It's just like, you know, especially like if you're you trying to all this fancy stuff yeah. to get dressed up uh, when these old ladies come over. Then you have uh, Karen come over. You put on the gross bathrobe. But the whole thing, too, at one point, he was like, he said something about, like, I could see your future. And it's like, that's that's a horrible pickup line. But then, like, you know, yeah, if you're going to say something like that, then wear that robe, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, well, like, she knows what she's getting know, back into, yeah. though. So he doesn't have to try too hard, I, I guess. guess not. <laughs> but, but at one point, he takes the cards out, and he's like, we need to do a reading. And then, like, it doesn't really... Like I think that the cards he pulls like twice are the same cards, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't very specific. But yeah, the, either way, it ends in death. Both either, times. either way, he was not happy with them, and he was like, "Oh well, we got to do it again. It doesn't count. You need to cut the cards." Like this whole thing where he doesn't believe in it, but he's just kind of doing it for like shits and giggles. But like the cards were showing up bad, like both times, and then he just like, "Okay, we're not going to do this now." And I like that. Yeah. I like that. There's that kind of ominous thing of like here you have the non-believer having signs being shown. And he, in the back of his head, knows knows it's not good, but at the same time, he knows he's a charlatan. So, I, I, you know, normally when you have stuff like that happen, where I'm like, well, that's just random. Like, I mean, in day to day life, I wouldn't buy into it, but I could see in a film setting up this really great tension of like he knows something's not right. Aside from the fact that she has, you know, produce growing out of her neck, you know, like that's probably yeah. like because because it's also implied that they they ended up at, like they don't show up, but it's implied that they got it on that night, like, um. Did she just keep like the neckerchief on the entire time? Because I think that'd be a deal breaker. You know, I feel like. <laughs> Sorry, I mean that's my hot take. Like I'm just going to yeah, throw I, that out now. Uh, I don't want to look at that. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Does she have like a series of pillows around her, like the Elephant Man? Is that what's going to happen? Like I don't know. Oh, poor Karen. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do yeah. like. There's a lot of well placed thunder in this film too. 
Because there's a, there's a point where well, uh, after he brings the, the death guard twice, yeah. she's like, "What does that mean?" And he's like, oh, "I don't know, nothing." And then there's just this ominous thunder crack. <laughs> in the yeah, back. yeah. I mean, but yeah, that I, happens I, quite I a bit it. in this movie. Yeah. So, um, so then like, um, the the whole like then while they're sleep like she's sleeping, he's awake or whatever. And at one point she says uh, she's whispering, "I think it's Pana Witchy Salatu." I keep wanting to say clot to Nick to Verata, but I know that's not right. Uh, but she's, you know, whispering something over and over again. So the next day when he goes to drop her off at the, the doctor's office for the surgery, he was like, you were saying these weird things. And she's like, Oh, they must've been words of love. She's like, I don't know what they mean. And you know, I was like, all right, whatever, you know, pillow talk, I guess we're done now. And then, um, so, so that we yeah. get, this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. <laughs> So he's back. He's got uh, Mrs. Hertz in his apartment. He's, you know, he's he's doing the card thing. He's reading her her tarot and all that. And um, as he's pulling the card, the death one comes up again. And she kind of goes unresponsive. Mm-hmm. Like you think that she dies in the chair, but she's still <laughs> breathing. And she starts saying this Ponowichi Salatu again. Same thing that Karen was saying the night before. And then gets up and begins to do a rain dance while chanting this. See, okay, in his so apartment. Th- that is a rain dance. I w- I didn't pick that up. I just picked it as like a. Well, spasm. they say it later on in the okay. movie that it was a rain dance. Okay. Um. But yeah, she's she's doing a rain dance while chanting this, and eventually she just starts floating out of the room and well, down the hallway. There's a whole sequence though of him like he's like, if you don't calm down, I'm calling it for an ambulance. And he goes yeah. over and he has this moment of like, I need an ambulance or whatever. And he keeps and he's like, one second, please. And he's like, you need to calm down. <laughs> like there's this whole, I don't know if it's supposed to be comedic, but it was cracking me up. And uh, it's like the days Tony before his deliveries though. <laughs> I, I couldn't quite tell when he was going for comedy, but yeah. A lot of it was really funny. Oh, it's like, but yeah. So she yeah. goes hovering down the hallway. Not, not. I shouldn't say floating because she's only about like an inch or two off the ground. But she's just hovering down the hallway. Gets to the end of the hallway and just throws herself down the steps. And it is so violent and so sudden. And she hits every railing on the way down. Yeah, all the supports are like balsa wood. She just breaks through them, and it's like this whole like tumble all the way down. And it's like I. Um, I was not expecting that turn, um, you know, and tumble. Yeah. It was, that was like, you know, great. Um, and we did, and we forgot to mention during the initial invasive surgery, um, the one doctor was about to lay, like put a cut into, uh, Tandy's neck and she wakes up and starts chanting. And so the guy's forced to take a scalpel to his own hand. Um, yeah, so yeah. that, 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 the only reason we mentioned this is because like she was chanting and then we get Tony Curtis, sorry, uh, T- T- Teddy, not not Teddy. Um, Harry, Harry, and yeah, whatever. Uh, Harry, um, you know, in the apartment. So then he, you know, he's freaked out. And there's a whole bit too after you know he calls the ambulance and he's he's cradling her, uh, um, you know, the the old lady's body and the and like the police and the ambulance show up and it's like it like no one bothers to question him what his involvement was. Everyone's like, oh, she must have fell down the steps. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like and broke every support rail. <laughs> Every yeah. every beam, yeah, um, yeah. I, I laugh way too hard at that scene every time. <laughs> I mean, it is sudden, so it is very disturbing. But just the way it's shown is ridiculous, and I loved it. Oh, it's out of control. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite parts. So then, um, what was it? Then that's when we end up getting to um, uh, uh, 
Harry uh, confronting the doctor because he was like, well, what happened? And the doctor wouldn't get into like, well, why the surgery didn't occur. And he's trying to understand what was going on. And that's when we play the dialogue at the beginning here where he explains to Harry where he's like, um, you know, hey, I, I, he's like, I like how he says, I really can't get into this, but I'm going to tell you everything I just, I, that I know. Like that was a weird yeah. moment. But he explains all this, like, you know, like the, the tumor that we think is a tumor. I've never seen it. It actually has bone and mass, and, we, and it's like a fetus. And it's growing out of her neck, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, that, that is still then, – then there's also, like, Chekhov's wall computer in the background. Like, this, the yeah. world's largest computer, which, again, it's the 70s. But it, it felt like it would have been right perfectly in line being on Battlestar Galactica. Like, this thing was huge. Um, but you get the idea that like, I, I did like that, um, that John Cedar, uh, sorry, the, the, the doctor, he was playing it to his name. Um, I have it here in my notes, uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Jack Hughes. Hughes. He was very matter of fact about this too. And the, whenever, uh, you know, um, when Harry was like, well, do you believe in black magic? And he's like, well, you know, basically he's like, no, but he's like, but he's also saying at the same time, I don't know what this is. I've seen everything. This doesn't make sense. So then they start having this question of like, well, if nothing makes sense and I have this one idea, can we at least explore it? Can we talk to her about it? Can we see what she thinks? And I'm not saying that like, you know, doctors would rationally be like, oh, let's just talk to the con man about like, you know, black magic with a woman with a baby in her neck. You know, that seems irrational, but I like that the film went there. That felt very much like The Exorcist in the sense of like whenever Reagan went through all these tests and nothing was coming up like correct, then you start looking at other options, you know? And so I like that they did science and then science was running up short. So it's like, well, let's just try something to save this woman's life. I liked that step. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And this should be a scene that's really frustrating because they're just describing everything we've seen mm -hmm. as the viewer. Um, but both of their performances really sell um, this. And especially Tony Curtis as he's describing that this is basically a fetus on her neck. Like he's upset about it. Like, and, and you can see it in his eyes. It's just his performance really sells it. And it's, it's, it's a very, very good scene for something that should be frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so they go and visit Karen and, uh, he, he asks her again about the Panawichi salad too. And she gets taken over by something and just screams Panna. It's <laughs> a, and that's like the end of that scene. Yeah. Um, so then that's whenever, uh, we get him going, uh, we get, um, a Henry, um, Harry, Son of a gun. Uh, Tony Curtis, uh, Mr. Curtis, going to go visit some old friends. Uh, they're a pirate gypsy couple, evidently. Like, they're living on the docks. Um, yeah. <laughs> which, I mean, it, like, you know, uh, it, it works, and I like the couple, but it's just funny. He walks in, it's kind of giving the one guy grief about something. It's like, this guy looks like, you know, it looks like he belongs in, like, um, I don't know, like a Captain and Tennille album cover or something with his hat yeah. and his beard. <laughs> like, it's perfect and they have like this nice moment and there's like a there's like a weird bro handshake did you notice that i'm like is that a thing then like it was like a very much like a like a frat bro like secret handshake that happened there for a second and then they end up meeting um amelia who is the wife of what's his name what's the other guy's name um, uh mick yeah mclovin uh so uh, well, I, I like when he walks in yeah 
and he gets his name wrong. Yeah, just the first I think, time, I think and he's he was just like, just "Come on, you've with been them. to our wedding." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he was just messing with them, and because they had like, yeah, it was, like it was, seemed it like was a running joke back and forth. Um, so then, yeah, he talks to Amelia, explains everything to her, and and he's like, "You, you, you know, you taught me everything I know," and she was like, "You're like the second worst student I ever had." <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's just a look Tony Curtis gives it's just like like and you can see real quick like harsh but okay like yeah <laughs> like what are you gonna do yeah <laughs> so he's like I don't know what to do and, and, and she was like well if this is what you're saying it is then I don't think we can help her and uh but then um you know um the the other guy I just lost his name again McLovin is like I like how he, he forms like he's like early internet he's just in the background reading books and he's like hey I think I found something. And they read about this oddly specific thing, and they're like, well, what's that going to do? How can this help us? They're like, well, maybe we should go talk to the guy that wrote the book. And that's where we end up being meeting um, Burgess Meredith's character. Um, so that's how he gets into this. And it's like, and again, this film, it, it's ridiculous in everything it's doing, but the, there's a logical step of like, I don't know what we got to do to figure this out. It's like, well, let's go talk to the guy that wrote this. I thought that well, was cool. I, I, I think we skipped the seance. seance there. No, that's coming after because he... Um, Oh yeah, because no, they yeah, have to have the seance. Goes, yeah, they sorry, tried the right. seance first. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, and then they come back to the place and they're trying to figure it out. But yeah, the seance is incredible in this movie. Um, so Amelia comes up with the idea. She's like, "We're going to need someone else." So she brings in um, a, another lady who performs a seance, and they have to go to Karen's house and try and speak with whatever is possessing her, whatever yeah, is growing. I think it was Karen's aunt because I think that's where Karen was living at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they go to Karen's and they have the seance. Um, they all sit around the table and they start the seance and things start getting weird. Like the thunderstorm starts outside. The lights start growing. They, they turn green. Um, but the table they're sitting at has this like black glass inlay. Yeah. In this the is really cool. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And uh, as they're doing the seance, a head starts coming out like liquid out of the glass and it's a native American head in the middle of the table. And it's, it's really creepy because the mouth doesn't quite open and speak, but you can tell it's trying to speak, but the voice is coming out of Amelia's aunt's okay. mouth. It's, yeah. It's, like, it does a good, it does a good job of like, Oh, um, like putting the two over top of each other. So you get the idea of this thing speaking through her. But I like that they did the fake out at the beginning to establish that this was a solid tabletop because Amelia's like, can you please move those flowers? And then they did. So then whenever this, this head like, you know, comes up, it's like, it's like a tar pit. You know, like it's this whole like weird wax, like looking thing. It's just coming up. Like, again, I was not expecting that. It was really cool. Like a simple effect, but they sold it because they established already that it was a solid surface. So when this thing shows up, like no one knows what to make of it. Like it was, it was a really cool looking scene. Um, I also liked that when Amelia was chanting, I'm pretty sure she said the word barista in there. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> like, I'm like, are you going to summon like a, a Vente? Like, I don't know. Like, but you got an Indian. Um, and I wrote Starbucks yeah. is black magic. That's what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> so they end up stopping the seance. Um, he turns the light on, but as soon as he, or he goes to turn the light on, the windows explode open, mm -hmm. um, and there's just this this ghost wind basically coming in from outside. A bolt of and, lightning uh, pull just breaks that table. I was like, screw that table! Like they just, it just destroys it. Like it just splits yeah, it, it down just the middle. It cracks it right in half when it strikes it. <laughs> yeah, but as soon as he turns the light on, everything goes back to normal. Yeah, I mean outside outside of the damage, but the wind stops. 
everything's calm again. But the ants, like I had a vision and they're talking about like what they saw. And she's like, it looked like, uh, uh, like those old uh, wooden Indians you'd see outside, like the convenience stores. And that's whatever, uh, the one guy was like a wooden Indian with magic powers. I'm like, yeah, that that's not going to happen in this movie, but creep show two, that will happen. That's where you'll see yeah. that occur. Um, yeah. yeah, give it, give it 10 years. We'll see it. <laughs> yeah. They uh, were a bunch of fortune tellers. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah, you're right. So they get back to, to their place and that's whenever uh, he, uh, starts looking up all that stuff. And I wrote that the, his last name was Googleman is what I wrote. Uh, and that's when they find, uh, Dr. Snow is the one that wrote the book. Um, and then, but they mentioned that the Manitou is a mortal spirit. And then the, the, I like how like, uh, Henry is like, is it say anything else? And that's whenever he's like, nope, from there it goes into rain dances. Like, like that's like, all right, well we've covered this part. Now we're getting to like practical environmental things going on. Um, and I thought that was a bit racist, but all, you know, the different time and place. Um, yeah. This know. whole movie kind of has a, <laughs> it's a different time, different place attitude when you go into it. Yeah. Um, cause I mean, I, even even uh, uh, Graham Masterson in the interview is like, we must uh, refer to them as Native Americans now. Like he caught himself <laughs> a few times in the interview. Um, yeah. Well, there's there's Manitou's and Womantou's now. We just got to be correct about it. So, yes. Um, yes. <laughs> so but, there, it is. There's a lot of stuff that that's kind of racist in yeah. this movie. But um, like you said, different time kind of have to put yourself there being a twos, you know? Uh, so, so they go to go find Dr. Snow, uh, who he is very much an informer. That's a terrible joke. Uh, but as they're driving along, there's a nice piece of exposition where they're talking about like, well, how's Karen doing? And then, uh, you know, Henry's like, um, saying, um, the, the tumors doubled in size. So like, you don't need to actually show it. It's just, it's implied that there's this ticking clock. Sorry, Harry. I said, Henry, but like, there's a nice thing of like you, the, even though we're getting these, like, like this other journey going on, you're still aware that whatever's happening is getting worse and they have like a certain amount of time to try to figure it out. So I like that they, they drop that in and they don't have to get into it until later when they show uh, the laser sequence, which was another thing that made me laugh at, but we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they go over to uh Burgess Meredith's house and they're asking him about all this. And he's like, you know, that, book isn't necessarily real like i wrote that just based off of uh, a legend about a uh a girl who had a had a tumor growing on her arm and uh there's this whole native american legend about it and uh so i don't think i can really help you <laughs> i do like that whenever he, they're in his like you know um whatever like his parlor or whatever the fireplace they're all sitting down he was like oh you guys should sit down. It was like almost kind of like a dick move of like, no, make yourself comfortable. You're already here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just keeps commenting about all the stuff around him. And he's talking in the story about the, the girl with the, the growth on her arm that ended up becoming the growth actually became a full fledged, you know, Indian shaman. And he handed Tony Curtis, like, uh, like a model of a native American. He's like, let me have that back. That's, that's, uh, that's fragile. And I'm like, why'd you hand it to him? But whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love Burgess Meredith knew exactly the kind of film he was in and you could tell that like he was I liked his performance of this but he kept adding these little bits that I'm, I'm pretty sure were not in the script and were not intended but he's just so such a uh, oddball character that I, I liked his, yeah, he's just, his he's just a quirky old man <laughs> that lives yeah. in a library yeah of, uh, right. 
research books and stuff. So, um, like I said, it's not far off of his Twilight Zone character. I was going to make the joke that because at one point he was like, "Okay, make your guys self, make yourselves at home. I got things I got to do." And I was like, "Yeah, you got to get to all those books you need to read." That's what I was going to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So he uh, takes him up into the attic, and I, I love the set with just the dusty library up in his attic. Yeah. And um, so Tony Curtis asks him about the Panawichi Salatu thing, and he's trying to figure out what the translation is. And he says, it sounds like it's coming from the Piscawawa tribe or uh, something of that sort. And he comes up with it. He's like, I think it means my death foretells my return or something like yeah. that. Whatever that means. And it's just like, I think we all know exactly what that means i like that tony curtis had that moment like that you have in movies where he's like my death what like he had to be that person to say it out loud like i thought that was just kind of kind of on the nose but then i like that uh uh merges merges uh (laughs) merges mary this character was like like we're like well how do we stop him he's like why would you want to stop him like this is just you know a a shaman that is you know found because like time is relative and they can pick a different time to reappear and he just believed that uh karen was right place wrong time so this guy is being rebirthed because this is something he is you know he it's like on his fifth or sixth uh like reincarnation or something and so like this is what he does but then like you know his character was like well why would you want to kill him it's like we could talk to somebody that's 400 years old i'm like well i mean that is true but that's probably not the the, the thing that you know you should focus on like <laughs> like he was yeah and, yeah and tony curtis uh he's like well karen didn't pick to have this happen to her it's kind of unfair <laughs> like well yeah the, so one, he, the one guy was he, the other guy the beauty guy was like yeah it's like it wasn't he's like he didn't give her permission to move in like or whatever he <laughs> says like it was a nice moment yeah so he comes up with the idea of there might be one way to save him and there's a few medicine men uh left in the country He's like, if you can convince one of them to come in, might be able to fight fire with fire. Yeah. So then uh, this is when we get into uh, um, Tony Curtis going back to the doctor saying, hey, you know, I need to try this out. And he's like, oh, no, we're already in mid-surgery. He's like, why didn't you tell me this? And it's like, we're going to use a laser to, you know, to, to do this. And, <laughs> and this is like – I. <laughs> <laughs> like they, but then as they're having this like shouting match, the doctor gets a call that something was went wrong with the laser in this in the room, and they come down and watch in horror as uh, Karen's in the corner, uh, and this laser is just firing randomly around the room and just like shooting at everything. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think technology works like that back then, but it's great. Like they don't know what oh, to yeah. do. It's so again, while these moments, I'm like, is that actually happening? Like it was great. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely the turning point where you're like, this movie's going to get insane <laughs> from this point on. Um, but I, I love uh, Susan Strasberg's performance. Um, starts out so strong, so confident, you know, and everything. And then she goes through the little vulnerable stage. But the rest of this, she's almost terrifying. Um, this just the way she's hunched over mm-hmm. um, in the corner controlling the uh the laser well she's not but the medicine man on her back is um and then later on when they're talking and her eyes will open or you just see like one eye open Mm -hmm. and you can tell it's not only just it's not just her listening 
it is kind of terrifying. Well, I also like that sequence too, that you see that the growth is much bigger, but like for the first part of the scene, it it's the camera isn't focused on it. It's focused on her. So like, yeah. you see it poking out of the back of the surgical gown and it's like, just because it's like far enough out of like, not out of frame, but away from you that it takes a while for it to register, like how far along this is. And it, it is disturbing. And then when they get to her, like lying back on the bed and you just like, and you just see this thing pulsing, um, it, it's, it's disturbing, but I feel like a modern movie would spend all its time focusing on that as opposed to the, just the sequence. And I yeah. like that. It just lets you fill in the details there for a minute before it showed you. Um, and then, uh, there's a bit there where, um, they, uh, they talk to the doctor about how, like, they realize that they're like the, the, the man who's speaking through her saying that the white light was hurting him. And he believes that to mean the x-rays and that like x-rays at an early stage of development with an embryo can do some damage. And there's like, we've created a monster. And my argument is probably already a monster. You just don't know what you've done to that monster. Just a thought. Yeah. Um, but that, but I didn't realize until I watched the second time that that was front selling what actually ends up showing up. Like <laughs> what, what, what comes out of her is what we see because it's been damaged by x-rays, not because this is how this shaman lived his life. Like, I don't know yeah, if you thought it, about that. It like probably, it, <laughs> it probably wouldn't have come out looking the way it does. <laughs> If they didn't shoot a full is, uh, how did he put it? Pumped him full of so many x-rays he could see through Fort Knox. <laughs> yeah. So I like the idea that they set this up and it's also a good way of getting around some of the budget. Like they're like, you know, we could just have this guy versus like another thing. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, so then this is when it sends off, uh, um, Henry to go, uh, look for a medicine man. And this is when we meet, uh, Mr. John singing rock and he, yeah, which yeah, I was going to give the movie credit for actually getting a native American actor only to find out he was Syrian. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was kind of upset with myself. Yeah. But he, he, he does a good job of it. And then he is like talking to Henry and like, he's like, you know, basically find like Henry learns that, that John knows that he's, he's approached other medicine men and all of them have said no. And then, and then John's like, do you know this woman? Do you love her? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, love's one of the strongest medicines there is, which that's good to know. Um, but then he also asks, like, what does a white man want with Indian magic? Like, I, like that would, uh, that's, that's a fair question. And I feel like that's a, a, a one that needs to be asked right now. And then he has a lot of fair statements in this he moment. He does. He does. So, yeah. He, uh, Harry asks him like, why won't he help? And he's like, you see all that land over there <laughs> that used to be ours. It isn't anymore. The white man took it. So why would I want to help you? It's yeah. just like. All right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but then there's the whole thing too. Like as like as Henry's leaving, uh, he he says, uh, you know, like like why won't you help me? He's like, well, if the the roles reverse, would you do it for me? And he's like, yeah, you have a point. And I think it's because he was being honest, and then like walking away in defeat. I think that's what, like, I think that's what won John over was like the whole thing of like you know this guy actually does mean it. He's not trying to, he's not trying to take advantage of. He's just trying to help a friend. Yeah, so, he's not trying to exploit him or anything. Yeah. It's just. Um, and he can see that he actually cares for her mm -hmm. and is understanding where John singing rock is coming from. So, um, yeah, so he agrees to it only if they'll give a hundred thousand dollars to the Indian education foundation and he wants some tobacco for himself. <laughs> yes. I love it. Uh, it's, it's, a, I mean, it's played for comedy. It's great. So then, but I also like that the next thing we get is like, uh, you know, John and Henry walking into, uh, uh, Karen's room and they're all wearing like scrubs 
And then within minutes, like John's like, I can't operate like this. And this takes it off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So things really start cooking at this point. So he's, he's describing what he's going to do. He's going to lay a uh, circle around uh, Karen and it's going to keep the medicine man at bay. Um, But as he's laying down that circle, this is that moment where like Karen's eyes open, Mm -hmm. but you can only see the one as she's like laying on her side, but you can tell that it's not her watching what's going on. And there's something really creepy about that to me. Well, I do like these, like I'm going to draw a circle around this bed and, and by a circle, I mean three fourths of a circle. (laughs) Like, yeah, I was like, the wall doesn't count. That's yeah, weird. I guess because the whole thing is it's supposed to keep the you know the the Manitou in there, and and the, the line's not supposed to be broken or smudged. But I'm like, but the line's not complete. But hey, whatever. Uh, but yeah, and so what was it? Uh, there was what, what did Henry say? You're gonna play King of the Mountain with the Mixmaster. I'm like, okay. He says that to him. I'm like, what's the Mixmaster? I don't understand that part of the whole thing. But <laughs> yeah, I don't um, know. yeah. I, like, so is the Manitou like just a sick ass DJ just spinning some tunes? But you know, watch out for the Mixmaster. But uh, but yeah, the whole thing when she like opens her eyes and basically says, like he says, identify who you are, and he identifies the so Karen like via the Manitou gives the name and I didn't write it down because it was an odd name and I was going to mess it up. He says who he is and John's like, oh, this is the most powerful medicine man. This isn't going to be good because he even it's like he ends up like staggering back and sitting on the chair and like the the hospital room like, hey guys, this is not good. Like, <laughs> and he just, yeah. yeah, he's like, this the is name a was, commodity. Uh, Misquamacus. Um yep. Yeah. So I, <laughs> So that's like I, I like that they they up this even more where it's like if John Singing Rock's heard of this guy, it, like it's this is even worse than they probably thought. So yeah, he's yeah. he's got some great lines where they're like, oh my god, and he's like, your God won't help. Yes, nothing yeah. in your Christian world will help. <laughs> and I just like, and so at that point, um, Harry goes outside and goes to speak with the nurse. She's like, how's it how's it going? He's like, ah, not so good. And she's like, yeah, it is pretty, uh, there's a lot of tension. He's like, yeah, you got something for that? And she just gives him pills. No, she doesn't give him pills. She gives him Alka-Seltzer. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, but I was really, but but I wrote, I was just like, I I was really thinking the nurse was going to hand him pills. And then I wrote, is this paid product placement for Alka-Seltzer that doesn't work? Because he like puts it in the glass and he just does a thing where he mixes it. Like, I guess he's a mix master, but not really. And cause and tries to get the foam up. And he's like, I can never get this to work. Like. I think it was Alka-Seltzer because these large tablets are supposed to do something. Yeah, that, like, that makes sense, I yeah. guess. I, I guess I, I really, so... I really thought she was going to hand like some downers and be like, here you go, just like take these, you're good. Yeah, that's. I, I think I was so busy writing that down, like, why is she just handing out pills that like, I missed the whole here, Alka-Seltzer here, We're going to give you the Elvis cocktail. You'll be feeling fine in a couple minutes, you know. Um, so, yeah. And then, so the, this is, so the movie's about an hour and 40 minutes long. This is around the 110 mark. And this is when, like, at this point, like you just mentioned, like things start getting weird. This is when shit starts going off the rails in this film. Cause again, he, he tries drinking the alcohol seltzer, doesn't work. Uh, we got, forgot to mention there's the one guy that's just kind of like the attendee in the room watching her because this growth is getting bigger. And, and John's like, this is going to hold for a couple of days, but we need to be ready by it tomorrow at the latest because he's coming. Like the, the Manitou's coming. Like we need to be ready. Uh, so the, the attendee is just in the room, like reading a magazine or something. And when, so when Henry goes to get his Alka-Seltzer, he walks Harry. back by the Harry, Jesus, um, Tony. Um, when he walks by the door of the room, 
you just get this face just comes through and just breaks the glass like immediately like it freaked me out like i uh i jumped like i was not expecting that yeah it's a really effective jump scare yeah um so he goes and wakes up john singh rock who is sleeping in another room uh good call by the way yeah. <laughs> you don't you don't want to be in the room with the the uh, the 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 shaman like it's going to pop out someone's neck and back. Like you go sleep in another room. I think I, I right probably call. would have slept in the lobby with all the other people I think downstairs. I would have been but driving okay. to the coast. I think I would have been done like on a boat out to sea. Like I'd have been okay. Yeah, so they go in there and you find out that that attendant is has been skinned. So yeah, whatever. But we we realized he still had his clothes on when he was skinned. So I was like, did, did the Manitou just make his skin disappear? Cause that's a nightmare. Can you imagine just standing there and all of a sudden your skin is gone? I mean, versus you making yourself rip your skin off. Sorry. Take your clothes off, rip your skin off and then, and then put your, put clothes, your clothes back that's, on. Oh man, that would hurt so bad <laughs> just to put those clothes back on. Oh, <laughs> I mean, especially if you had like an itchy outer shirt or something like it only been worse. Imagine the terror of your skin just disappearing (laughs) out of nowhere. That would. Yes, I agree. Again, this feels like proto Barker, like Clive Barker (laughs) with people just losing skin in hospitals and bleeding out in your beds, you know? Um, Yeah. Like, but that was, I like that. Like he was like the, the poor guy was left over um, like in the corner they just left him there. They're like, we need to get something yeah, to cover him up. Just put a blanket over him. <laughs> it's, fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Just leave him there. Yeah. So yeah, then the thunderstorm kicks on again outside. Perfectly placed thunder. Um, and it's almost time. So then we get this birthing scene, which is something I'll never get out of my head. Like I, this next, maybe like 10, 15 minutes of this movie is worth every moment. Of watching oh yeah, this it's thing. messed up. Yeah, so uh, the tumor starts like ripping open. You see the hands coming out first, and you see this little Native <laughs> American medicine man rise out of her back, and then just kind of flop onto the floor. And there's something it, it's it's almost goofy the way it flops on the floor, but for some reason it just gets uh, uh, pun intended under my skin. <laughs> That's no longer there. Yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, no, it's just, it's, I don't know, there's just, the way it just drops onto the floor <laughs> and then just starts crawling at them, it's just, it's it's a nightmare. It's so terrifying. Yeah, um, I thought I had this, okay, I did have this in my notes. I wrote, uh, the birthing scene's messed up. I didn't write that. I wrote a, a more more offensive word there. But I wrote, but then he's just a little guy. And then I wrote, the Minitou. <laughs> That's what I <laughs> But it, I, I think having it uh, being like a, a like a miniature version is even more terrifying. Yeah, it's just because it's and weird. He's stuck in the circle, so he can't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are scenes where he's just standing there. Yeah. And, and people would come in and out of the room. And it's still just standing there. And there would be these camera like pans across the bed and it would just go behind it. And you would just see it watching everyone or it, it had its eyes closed most of the time. But it was just like, can you not just stand there? 
So how did you feel about the nurse that kept getting yelled at like every three seconds as people were running it out of that room where one of them like, like just stay at your station. Like they yelled at her and then it was like a whole thing of like, like, like all hell's breaking loose in this room. There's a guy without skin. There's three quarters of a native American standing and staring at people. There's a woman with an open wound on her back. Like, and there's people running it out and they're like, no, 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 you stay there. Like they just keep yelling at the yeah, nurse. Keep answering phones. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man no idea what's going on but then there's a bit like when you see with with karen like you know after this thing has been birthed which when i said the fly could you imagine if like cronenberg would take a swipe at this film like but there's loose skin on her back and they didn't it could have gotten grosser but there's just enough of that where you're like it was like this like weird like flappy stuff on her back because you know a person to just come out of there it was yeah. just wrong. Wrong. It's gross. Yeah. And, and the design of the Manitou is really off-putting, too, because it's this just muscly little person mm-hmm. with these contacts in. Like, the one is white. The one is normal. Uh, but super muscly. Some of the proportions are kind of off. It, it was and like if Danny Trejo had a mini-me. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah, basically. <laughs> It's like a zombie mini me version of Danny Trejo, uh, but just covered in like birthing fluids. Like yeah. it just, it's so gross looking. And that first scene, I just never get it out of my head of it just writhing towards them on mm-hmm. the floor. Is it's, it, it's I've watched this movie three times, and you know there's little things you forget each time you watch it, and you go back and rewatch it. And you're like, oh, that was that was fun. That was fun. I remember that scene vividly every time <laughs> yeah it's disturbing you're absolutely right so uh so then this becomes like a waiting game because the the circle the charm circle the 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 the, the dust that was put down uh, and i feel bad for the second attendant they bring in yeah right that like, wh- why forced to sit there yeah with the previous dead attendant still <laughs> laying in the room <laughs> with this manitou just standing there just basically staring at him. But the second attendant falls asleep. Like I, I would never sleep yeah. again. Like no. that's no, there's absolutely zero chance that I would ever fall asleep in that room, let alone in that hospital. <laughs> like there's, there's no sleeping. Oh, and there's the thing that there's a discussion about like everything has a life spirit. Everything has a Manitou, uh, whether, you know, it's the, it's the actual, what, like I said, which doctor, sorry, the, the, the native American shaman, uh, you know, technology guns could have their own Manitou's. That's why they don't call the police. Cause they're worried that this, this, uh, you know, um, this, the shaman will turn the guns on everybody. Uh, even the dead body of the previous attendant evidently has a Manitou still because it gets manipulated to stand up and start attacking people. Um, yeah, everything has a Manitou, everything. And I think uh, the, the first time I watched it, I didn't, I didn't catch that bit of dialogue. So when you get to the, the end, which is coming very quickly, it was like, okay, well, cool, I guess, but at least they laid the groundwork that this is what was like the theory of what a Manitou is. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is paid off pretty well in this film. Yeah, it is. I like, mean, everything yeah. makes sense. I mean, it, we'll talk about like the final scene in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I, I think it goes a little bit too far, but so, but you end up having this almost like exorcist thing of like, so this thing's in the room, you have like the two guys are trying to confront it. So it kind of happens and shifts a little bit. Right. So then, uh, as they're just waiting for, um, you know, the, the shaman to make his move. And so then they end, like, they end up going into the room there with the doctor 
Um, I, I can't remember. It, they, they have the discussion in the doctor's office, and that's when the earthquake hits, if I remember right. Um, but the the but it isn't just the earthquake. Is that is that what happens before the lizard uh, projection or not? I can't remember right now off the top of my head. Um, there's a bit uh, in the office. I'm I'm pretty sure there's the earthquake before that. Okay. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so the, yeah, I, I didn't write the earthquake down in my notes for some reason, so I'm not sure exactly where it happened. But uh, well, actually, I take that back. The doctor comes in to confront him, and that's whenever uh, the the shaman like summons a projection of like like a like an iguana, like a large iguana. But it's not all the way there. Like, it, like it's limited by the technology of its time. But it's such a fun idea to have like an animal spirit projection that was coming out, and it bits they bit the doctor on the hand, and then like they, you know, it was cool. I liked it. Worked. It it, it shouldn't have worked, but it worked for me, and I really really dug it. Like it was a cool thing I was not expecting. Um, yeah, it yeah. definitely looks like a guy in a rubber lizard suit <laughs> crawling at him. But it, I mean, it, you've been along for the ride this long. Like it's fine, but the it, fact that it was totally like fine. still only like fifty percent transparent, like visible, like I, if it was like yeah, full that on, saved it. if that it was saved fully it. like hundred percent there, yeah. it would have been it would have been terrible. There's but. a thing, and this, I, I know we've been talking about this for a while, but there's there's a thing. Like I, I play World of Warcraft, and there's uh these things called Loa, which are animal spirits that people can like summon and uh, like project. And I was like, it's a loa. It's a loa of a spirit, of a sna- of a lizard that's coming. And it's like, it's almost exactly the same thing. And I'm like, all right, well, this is a shaman projecting loa. That's perfectly in line with my thought process. Like, I was all about it. Like, yeah, that's, that's well, you know, it's a shaman. Like, so I didn't question it. I thought it was a cool effect. And I was like, that makes sense that this guy is like a Native American shaman. So, of course, he's going to call upon, like, animal spirits, you know, or whatever they said. Because they called it, um, was it the, there wasn't that one. It was the Star Beast. Was, was it they called it the Star Beast? was that the one i forget but either way which i thought was funny because star beast i think was the name of the the original alien script so i thought that was kind of a fun thing to mention um but there's a whole thing after he gets bit the doctor gets bit they end up having this discussion in the office and that's when the earthquake hits it's not even earthquake it's like it's like a funhouse situation in this office where nothing is rocking at the same pace as anything else it's a very weird looking scene yeah it's really impressive um I, I would like to see behind the scenes on how they pulled it off. Um, I've never seen anything like it in any other movie I've ever seen. I'll be honest. Like it was like bizarre. Hell. Yeah. Like Cause it, usually you see in movies of this caliber, just like a shaking of the camera or just a shaking of the room. But yeah, everything is shaking separately. It's like they had everything on springs, like the walls, the floor and everything was disconnected and bouncing at like a different, frequency it was it's really crazy like looking. that felt like that would have belonged in that film house that the, that japanese film that uh yeah, that was, before, yeah. Like, was that before this or around that same time but either way, it felt like that would have belonged in that film like it's how odd it is and they're like it's earthquake and everyone's like no that's never that's not an earthquake i've ever seen i agree it was weird i liked it yeah so um they go back upstairs after this and the whole floor that they were on with Karen has frozen over, including uh, the nurse. <laughs> yes, including that poor, <laughs> poor nurse, nurse that was yeah. told. Yeah, she got she got it the worst. No, movie. yeah, you're right. She just yeah, she got yelled at and then frozen in place. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's, it's continue it's, doing her job and uh, 
was frozen to death. But it was like frozen with like these like ice like like stalagmites and stalactites like all over. And it, yeah, and it, they're pretty yeah, terrible. Looking. It is pretty terrible, but the idea the idea is pretty great though. You know, like yeah, and I'm yeah. I'm willing again like I've come along for this ridiculous ride to this point. Yeah. It's fine. Like I, I'm not going to hold it against it, but it does look like a bad amusement park. <laughs> like, yeah, it looks it's, like there's going to be a room just full of, like penguins, like it's a Sea World. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> definitely a Halloween's environment. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so they go back in to confront. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I, I think uh, at this point, uh, Miskimakis is loose. Yeah, he actually breaks the charm circle. You're right. Yeah, so he's he's running amok around the around the floor. <laughs> And um, you find out that this is when they bring up the star beast. Yeah, that's the star right. beast has yeah. brought it over. And he's kind of explaining that. Um, or, yeah, I guess the star beast was the lizard because they refer to the other god as the old, the great old one. Yeah. So they, they so as, as as he is out and about, there's a bit where like like all hell is breaking loose. There's all sorts of wind and they're about to have the showdown. And this is whenever. um uh, Tony Curtis picks up a typewriter and just chucks it at him. Uh, chucks it at the shaman, and it causes this really large explosion. And and John Singerock's like, you know, like like why'd you do that? He's like, well, it was just a thought. And he's like, yeah, that's probably never going to work again. And like, and so they get this idea sure. that the electricity running through the typewriter, the typewriter had its own Manitou, and this was able to keep keep him at bay for like a second. Right. So that was the whole thing. And then this is when they kind of come around to the idea that maybe if they throw all the electricity on in this place and run it through into this room, that all the machines manitous could uh, put him like could could send him spiraling back into the abyss and stop whatever's going on. And and John is starting to believe that that um, that that the shaman is actually bringing about the great old one. That's his goal is that when he has full power, he's bringing basically the equivalent of Satan onto Earth. Yeah. So they come up with this plan. Um, they go upstairs to confront him. Um, they got the, everything's all set up. All the machines are being turned on as they get to Karen's room. A fireball shoots out. Yeah, That's right. Yes. The room. Yeah. yeah. So as soon as they enter the room, uh, the room is no longer there and they are just among the stars. Like they're just basically in space. It's a really Which, cool looking moment. I don't care. It's it's a cool just what is going on moment. I really don't I it. guess Girdler really loves Star Wars. <laughs> um and wanted to include uh something set in space in this movie because of Star Wars. It's a good That's call. the only reason that this room happened. It gets that's oh, it, from from what uh Graham Masterson said like this movie pretty much follows the book point for point. A lot of the dialogue is pulled straight from the novel. Uh, but this was the only thing that strayed was that Girdler's like, I want to do something in space. So <laughs> he wrote this whole scene in, which I think it, like it looks kind of cool. Um, it's memorable. I think it takes it a little bit too far. It does. But I think the idea is like, even though the execution may not be the best, I really dug it because it's like you get all this stuff and it's like, what's the one thing you're not expecting all to walk out into like the astral plane type of thing. Like yeah. that was, I mean, you yeah. know, time and space don't really mean anything to this, yeah. to this, uh, native American shaman. So it makes sense in theory that they would just end up 
just part of the universe during this fight. You so know, it's I, just so like I time like, and space broken. I like the idea that like, like that, you know, Tony Curtis was like, give me five minutes to, to basically confront him and then turn all the power on and all the computers. And I like that the doctor, a man of science is behind this idea of turning on all the computers to fight the midget and shaman. Like, like he's like, that's a good, you know what? That's fine. This is the most, this is the most perfect science I've ever heard of. We're just going to do this. And so then, uh, before they even get in the room, uh, John singing rock hands, uh, uh, hands Tony Curtis' character like something, and he's like, "What's this for?" And he's like, "Protection." And then he's like, "I thought it was seasoning." Like, really, you had to keep like mentioning like oregano in the middle of all this. Like, I thought that was kind of a funny toss off. But then this becomes this whole big, just I don't know how to describe it. Like fireballs and meteors flying at them, and like just weird and like lightning and lasers, yeah, and. and like almost like uh, an acid show in the background. Like, like if, if you showed this on a loop at like a planetarium, people would be all like, yeah, with like some Floyd in the background, it would make perfect sense. Like, cause <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, all, yeah. all of the machine Manitou's are focusing their power through Karen. So it's actually Karen who is shooting lasers out of her hands mm-hmm. at the great old one and Miskolmachus. While she's like topless, by the way, I was going to mention that, you know, she has to be like nude in the bed shooting lasers out so you know whatever it's what you do yeah yep. <laughs> i also want to so mention i mean that, i i refer to him as the exploitation director yeah, no no so you're right yeah i wrote i was like with this kind of power you got to be careful because you might summon a galaxy being i just wanted to mention you know you don't want to overdo it you might get a galaxy yeah. being to show up um but then so while this is all going on like it, it over overloads like the power and like the different things and the doctor who is monitoring all this sees what's happening. He goes to run away from his large computer that we saw earlier in the film. And it just destroys him. He just explodes. Like I thought, <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess we're doing this now. Like he just, it was, it was almost like a, and he's gone. Like he just, just <laughs> goes, you know? Yeah. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point they end up uh, beating Miss Comacus and the old everything one yeah. is, uh, yeah, the old one and everything seems to be okay. And I wrote, uh, <laughs> this pretty much is the same ending to star Wars and new hope. So it's funny that you mentioned star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I wrote, she got to the kill screen. That's what happens here at the end. She finished, uh, the Manitou video game. Um, but yeah, uh, they, they, they saved the day. And then, uh, John singer rock is sent on his way and he gets his yeah, tobacco. The, yeah. His pack of cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. But He's not the hundred thousand. I don't know if that ever showed up again. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, like, I, I don't know. It's yeah. just like, we're all live. Good enough. Let's I wrote, go. <laughs> I wrote with the, if he's not going to get the money, I was like, would that make Harry the Indian giver? That's what my question is. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I love you get this happy ending, yeah. but then you get the text up on the screen yes. as the kind of twist on this. So I guess we could do a twist rating. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's just some text on the screen that says in Tokyo, uh, Japan, 1969, this happens to another boy. Um, he starts to get a growth on his well, chest. I have, I have the actual words here. It says, fact. Oh, here we go. Tokyo, Japan, 1969. A 15-year-old boy developed what doctors thought was a tumor in his chest. The larger it grew, the more uncharacteristic it appeared. Eventually, it proved to be a human fetus. And that's the end of your movie. Like, <laughs> like to be like, I've done the research. This is possible. Yep. That's your movie. Yeah, um, so I I just want to know like your reaction. Did you love it? Uh, yeah, I did. I really did like yeah. this movie a great deal. 
Um, yeah, it, it's surprisingly effective because, uh, like, like I was kind of mentioning before we started, it was it when you explain it to someone, it sounds just it sounds it sounds ridiculous. Like, there's no way to make this sound like you're not a crazy person <laughs> for even just watching this. Yeah. Um, but it's played straightforward and so straightforward. And some of the horror is so effective and so just upsetting that I was I'm always surprised that this one doesn't get talked about as like kind of a, more of a cult classic. Yeah, I, I agree. And I like I'm in a weird headspace right now because I just like the week before this, I watched for the first time the Wicker Man um, from the seventies. So that put me in a weird headspace for like the trippy seventies films. And then to come into this, I think, I think that film prepped me for, cause that's another film not to get into it, but it plays a very straight and very earnest and it just gets mm-hmm. weird. And so I feel like there's a certain thing where there is now these fil- like a lot of stuff that would happen now. If like this is remade now, there'd be almost like an irony about it that I don't think would sell well in terms of like emotionally, this is played so straightforward as ridiculous as it gets, no matter what it's treated so earnestly, which I've said that previously that I think that's what wins the day for me. Like it is so like the characters are all grounded in reality and they're just trying to help this person that had this thing that has happened to them for no apparent reason. And when you get to the, you know, the space room with the tiny Indian and all the weird stuff going on, like it is, it is trippy and it, it doesn't, like the logic of it falls apart, but if you, it, but the logic works with it. Like you're like, okay, fine. You've brought me this far. I'll, I'll watch this. Like I, I like this movie a great deal. And, um, I feel like the humor in the beginning, uh, really works. Tony Curtis's performance is really what kind of like grounds this entire film. Like it, it works. And I'm, I'm super glad that we got to it. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a movie that I'd have, I feel like this would pair up really, really, really well with a film you've not seen, but the baby, I feel like this would pair, pair up really well with that because that movie also treats its subject, subject matter, very straight faced and it gets ridiculous. And it's also a yeah. 70s film. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I don't think this is a film that could be made in this way today. No, like I, this, this film couldn't be made today. I mean, it's let's be honest, a little bit too racist for. <laughs> well, I think you could handle that portion of it better. I think you could. Yeah, I, you know? I, I think yeah. you could. But I, being played the way this movie is, I don't think there's any way you could do this today. Because like I feel I, like if, if, with the racist stuff in it, I don't think it was racist like intentionally. I don't think it was done. No, it, it wasn't. That was no, just yeah. That just, was just what people time said and, at the time. Yeah. So you know, things times change. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, just just the way this is played so straightforward. That's definitely something of the seventies, and I I don't think something this ridiculous could be made in the same way today. No. So there there's something appealing about that. Yeah. Um, I just there's there's imagery in this film that I will never forget for the rest of my life. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, I'm so happy we did this at least just so I could buy the Blu-ray. <laughs> And finally, get rid of my bootleg of this. <laughs> um, so I will say that normally when we do any anything here for the show, I end up doing like like four or five screen caps and put them over the week. I didn't take a single image from this film because even though we talked about it at length here, the, I don't think still images would do the film justice. Watch this movie. It's like three or four dollars to rent on YouTube. Um, it 
just watch it. Like, I know we kind of talked through all of it. Even everything we've said does not prepare you for this film. Watch it. If you've not seen it, it's easily available. Spend your money, watch this and be entertained and horrified at the same time. I'm glad that we covered this. This is something that's always, it's been on my radar for a while, but I, I, but I also knew that watching this, I wanted to talk to you about it because like you have mentioned this before and you always bring me the best weird stuff. So I'm so glad that I, I, well, like I, my, my life has been better with all these wonderful little weird asides, like regardless of the show, just knowing you and being like, have you seen this? And then I watch it. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty messed up. You're like, you know, right? Like, like <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I think Tony Curtis is definitely the MVP on this. Cause, uh, I, he is so entertaining, just unapologetically funny in it. <laughs> like, and, uh, uh, again, I'm going to reference Grant Masterson because I thought he had some good stuff to say about this. Um, he kind of gave the the comedy in this, um, especially Tony Curtis. He was saying that like that's how most people react to terrifying situations or things that are uncomfortable, yeah. like to kind of insert comedy into it. But it never takes away from the severity of the situation or his emotion that he has for Karen in it. Like you never with him cracking jokes, it never seems like he's dismissing anything. Yeah, it does seem like that's just who he is. And it's a, it's a fantastic role for him and whether or not he did this because he thought it was an interesting project or he just took it because (laughs) it was a quick, easy paycheck. Like he brought a hundred percent to this film. Yeah, no, I got to give him credit. Absolutely. So, all right. Uh, I don't know if you have any other thoughts that you have about the Manitou, but again, I really enjoyed this. This was a great yeah, kind of, it's, you know, it's an experience. Yeah, I like, you can talk about it all day. I mean, there's only, there's only so much you can say <laughs> before you tell somebody, just watch it for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. I think that's going to do it for our talk about the Manitou. Yep. So, Kevin, how can people find us? Um, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, anywhere on uh, social media under Strange Highways Podcast. If you want to email us or leave us voicemails, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Satchel, uh, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are found, we're there. And wherever you're listening to this right now, it would really help us out if you would go and rate and review us on there. So iTunes is going away. Like, how do you feel about that? Like, uh, yeah, I got to stop saying that and uh, <laughs> replace it with Apple Music. Thank you yeah. for bringing that up. No, uh, like I have for the other show, I have a bunch of business cards and a banner that says iTunes on it. So people, are, I feel like that's going to be that thing. No matter if it goes away, everyone's going to be like, oh, iTunes. I feel like Apple's not doing themselves a service by getting rid of the thing that they established for like 20 years, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so Apple Music. Yeah, excuse me. <laughs> no, that's was like because when they're like, "Oh, we're shutting down iTunes," I'm like, "Well, I know I haven't updated you for a while, but they shouldn't go that that extreme, you know." But yeah, right. I I switched back to Winamp um, <laughs> that I used to use on Windows 95. <laughs> I guess some like Swedish company or something took bought the rights to Winamp and started. Uh, um, <laughs> basically, they brought it back. So I put all of my music into Winamp, and now I just watch visual visualizations. Yeah, visual, like, ah, you're like, can't look, speak now. You see, you see the old ones. You see the well, old I, one trying to come out. 
That's what you yeah, see. Basically. Yeah, basically. I'll just listen to Synthwave and just watch those things <laughs> for like a good half like, hour. Oh. Uh, you know, the, the, the shaman's trying to bring the old one back. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm losing it here. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, so the other thing we got here is our, is our Patreon. Uh, you can find us at uh, patreon.com strange slash strange highways, uh, where you guys can support us for as little as $1 a month, where we're doing some exciting things over there. We're about to wrap up uh, season one of the 2019 Twilight Zone revival uh, that Jordan Peele is heralding. We're going to talk about Blurry Man over there uh, as soon as we get done recording this. And we'll have some uh, interesting thoughts about the season ender there. But you can find out our thoughts about that uh, for like $1. Like I said, that's uh, where where is our sorry our where is everybody uh tier that gives you access to all that stuff and then five dollars a month is our five characters in search of an exit uh you could uh have access to everything we've just previously said and also pick an episode of an anthology uh series and we will talk about it here on the show um and ten dollars uh, you could join our 16 millimeter shrine. You have access to the tours and you can pick an anthology film to cover. Uh, you can come on the show and we'll talk about it with you. And we'll also send you a framed photo of Hyperion, the most important racehorse that's ever existed. So yeah, like please consider joining the Patreon. We've been having a lot of fun. It's been, uh, it's been a little bit more of a marathon than a sprint, but you know, uh, th- it's been great to talk about that series and also the wrapping up season three of the original series and then covering um, Outer Limits last week. And then, like, what else are we going to find an opportunity to talk about the Manitou? You know, I figured if we're going to if we're going to end our discussion for like a minute, let's go out something weird. And, and, and this was weird. And I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it was a, it was a good time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for everyone who signed up for the Patreon so far. Um, it's been kind of a ups and downs as far as the new series but it's been a lot of fun to talk about so um yeah looking forward to wrapping that season up yeah so uh what we're doing next week is nothing absolutely nothing uh we (laughs) are taking a little bit of time off i feel like it is earned uh from like all the double duty we've been pulling for like the past like few weeks uh we're taking two weeks off um because of just like timing uh like vacation stuff's happening and I hope you guys can forgive us for taking a little bit of time off. And then when we come back, I think we're going to address some of our Patreon picks that we uh, have cooking for people that have signed up for the, the $10 uh, selections. So that should be fun, but yeah, Yeah, keep an, keep an eye on the Facebook. We'll announce what those are as we get closer. But if you're really missing us the next two weeks and you haven't signed up for the Patreon, now's a good time. You can binge watch the entire series of the new Twilight Zone is up on CBS All Access. So you can get that free trial. You can binge watch them. Uh, go on our Patreon, download all those episodes, and uh, catch up with those while we're gone. Yeah, think about it. You can sign up for the free trial of CBS All Access, which is free. Just shut it down before you know it ticks over. And you can pay $1. $1. And then, so for $1, you can pretty much get all that content. Like, that's a pretty good deal. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, check it out. So, uh, yeah, in the meantime, this has been fun and, uh, we'll see you guys in two weeks, uh, with some other stuff. Like, so we'll let you know when we get there, but in the meantime, I have, have a great two weeks off. I know we will. And, um, I was going to say, if you have an old, uh, native American, uh, shaman growing in your neck, you should have that looked at, but I don't know how that's going to turn out. So I guess, uh, just consult WebMD and see what happens, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, all I got is Panawichi Salatu.
Mr. Erskine. Normally, I wait three risings of the sun before I take on a job. My fee will be $100,000 to the Indian Educational Foundation. And you? Well, I need some tobacco. I'm running a little low. <laughs> <laughs> 